Hey everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Working with Humans. I am your host, my name is Matt Phelan. I am the co-founder of a business called The Happiness Index and self-appointed head of global happiness. Um, I am here um, with Jen. I'll let, I'll let you introduce yourself, Jen. Well, thanks, Matt. I'm uh, Jen Lim. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Delivering Happiness, or DH for short. Um, which basically was a book 10 years ago that I collaborated with uh, Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos.com, and then became the CEO of the company. Now we do coach consulting for organizations around the world. Jen, I was um, reading my pre-planned questions back, um, and then something struck me. You know, the um, assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups saying. Um, <laughs> I suddenly realized, because I know delivering happiness so well, um, so lots of listeners are not going to know what why, why it's called delivering happiness and, and what that actually means. So I've added a new question in, which I'm hoping you could answer. Okay, is, sure. What, why, what, why is it called delivering happiness? Well, it all started because of um, a tweet from an employee at Zappos, I guess, probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, they're, they're, the company, if, if you're not familiar with it, they're uh, based here in the U.S. and they kind of made their way of uh, um, selling shoes online at a time when it was a very popular idea. Um, but what they did, decided to focus on was not just customer service, but also company culture. And so when that tweet went out, it kind of uh, was a light bulb in their heads of like, that is actually what we do. We don't just sell shoes online. That's not what we're about. What we're doing is delivering happiness to our customers and hopefully, you know, in some way, give back to the world. Yeah. So that became their purpose. And then when Tony got uh, prompted for the book deal and, and book writing, that just came naturally to become the title. I love that. that, that thanks for clearing that up, Jen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's kick off with a personal question. Um, what makes you happy, Jen? <laughs> oh wow how much time do we have um <laughs> uh, and also these days I, I feel like every question I get there's like this thought of flashes in my head of pre-COVID and post-COVID but I would say there um the some some of it is that so the way we break it up uh, for for our clients and our approach is that there's three types of happiness and we we look at pleasure passion and purpose um so purpose being the most sustainable form but for pleasures I just realized how just walking to a bar and getting a drink makes me happy, but yeah. of course we cannot do that these days. So um, I realized how, how much that made me happy. Um, on the passion side, I had not realized at all that uh, I enjoyed cooking. And I know that sounds very cliche. I'm sure everyone's doing this because of COVID, mm -hmm. but if I can quote my mom, she said, I don't know what was more unpredictable, the fact that COVID happened or that fact that Jen is cooking. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty much describes it, like basically the number of times I've cooked in my lifetime uh, on, on one hand. But uh, yeah, that's been really cool because I've been just doing old comfort food dishes my mom used to make and that's been making me pretty happy. But, uh, oh, Jen, but also- got, I have, sorry to interrupt, I have to ask, what's, what's your number one um, comfort dish? Ah, um, it's a it's an old school uh, Cantonese dish. So, uh, how do I describe it? Uh, I mean, my mom made it with ground beef, uh, peas, and gravy, and sometimes you just crack a raw egg over top of it over rice. Uh, but since we you know we're in this new age, then I've been using uh, Beyond Beyond Burger or Beyond Burger meat. <laughs> so, yeah. it's not you know legit, but it's pretty tasty still. 
I feel like we need to do a follow-up show with your mum teaching, <laughs> teaching me and you to cook, I think. Oh, my <laughs> God, yeah. She would love that. So sorry to interrupt you. You were on, you were on two. You were on point two. Oh, uh, no. Three. Yeah, and the last one being purpose and of, of anything, though, that hasn't changed uh, regardless of COVID. It, my purpose has always been about people. And so it's been a bit disrupted since we just can't call up friends or, you know, just hang out at, uh, at the restaurants uh, local nearby. But I've uh, sort of doubled down on what that means. And uh, for me, obviously, it's like my family and friends, but also the people that are touching and impacted in some way with the work that we do at DH. And I just believe now more than ever, and I'm sure you've been seeing it in your own experiences with your own clients, just how this idea of what happiness truly is, uh, both in life and, and work can mean. And uh, the stories I've been getting from people that have benefited from you know, the pretty like basic things that we try to share uh, in a way that's been really sort of come very critical at the time, at this time, especially when things are so chaotic around them. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's, it's a very, it's a very good reminder, Jen. Um, why do you believe happiness is important for organizations? Well, there's, um, been thinking a lot about this in very different ways, especially now that the way we work is so different just, you know, from six, seven months ago. And the fact that we used to say is like, well, you spend more than, you know, if you're working more than half of your waking hours at work. And that usually meant the office, but now it's everywhere. And now it's Zoom and now it's mostly at home. Yeah. But the, it, I think it, this new situation just highlights even more that, you know, what we do for our living is uh, basically our lives. And it's more integrated in a, and we used to say work-life integration all the time, but even more integrated than, than before. And so having that concept that uh, our belief, it's not separate, you know, it's one and the same, it's what you do with your time. And yeah. knowing that this is our only time we have on, on the earth with, uh, with ourselves and each other, how can we actually maximize our sense of not just, you know, pleasure, happiness, but sense of meaning, uh, yeah. sense that we're living our values. And since that we're actually what I call a living legacy, not a legacy that we're going to leave when we're we're gone but we're actually living the legacy we want to live uh you know what? i've never heard of anyone put it that way jen i think that's a really good it's a really good way of looking at it isn't it mm. i just fully believe it um and I'm, I'm glad more and more people are picking up on that too yeah um i don't expect you to speak for um the entire country but <laughs> um are american employees happy <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. It's really, you know, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you can look at all the studies in the world and, you know, doing what you do, I'm sure you have your own take on, you know, from your data, but it really depends on who you ask. So that's why I don't rely on the data too much. What I do know is that because it spans from like 30% to 50 to 70, depending on who, who took the survey. Um, but what I would f fundamentally say that is, um, there's a like there generally there's generally a, a, a sort of sense of happiness, but I don't think there's a sense of meaning yet in the workplace as yeah. much as it could be. And even with this whole wave of uh, companies being big on shouting their purpose and these are our values, most of the time I would say they're just empty words, you know, on the wall, um, yeah. and it really doesn't mean anything at the end of the day for that 
person or human being. So I think that's where the disconnect is. And that's why I'm really passionate about connecting those things of uh, organizational purpose should be connected to your own um, so that yeah. employees could be fundamentally happier too. Yeah. Um, Jen, one of the legal things that, um, I don't know if you've seen the news today, but there's a there's a change where um, Uber are gonna recognize um, their employees, yeah, their, their drivers as employees, not as contractors. Mm. Um, and the reason I bring it up is on the a few podcasts back, um, I interviewed uh, Professor Alex Edmonds, who did a, a study on American, a twenty-eight year study on American companies, and basically mm-hmm. proved that um, where you look after your staff, those businesses financially perform financially better, two to five, mm-hmm. three times per year. Um, and one of the things that that struck me on that is where, uh, and the other, sorry, the other fact on it was that the flow through. Um, to financial performance is um, the same in every industry. So it's not like um, a car company would be different to a fashion company. It's equal across industries. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think certain tech companies um, have gone so down? Because I don't want to just pick on Uber, but gone down mm-hmm. such on the price point and, at, at the neglect of, of things like employee happiness. When we know the data shows that actually the, there should be a place in the market for a for a, an Uber alternative that looks after its drivers. Um, so I'm, I'm chucking mm-hmm. this one at you because it's news today, but have you got any mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and you're bringing up Uber and I, I do agree with you, it's not the only you know, tech kind of company. Actually, I'm, I'm not, I would say I'm impartial in terms of like it not being tech because you see these kind of companies pop up in all different kinds of industries. But, you know, when, when Uber did what it's, it did and then Lyft kind of tried to respond in a way that hey we actually care about our drivers we care about our passengers but then over time Lyft slowly became an Uber as well in terms of what they were doing for the price wars so I think even though I mean this is what we encounter all the time as well within in our work and and our clients and uh, there's this it's it's an intellectually known fact what you just said is that if you treat your people right you'll actually be in a finance, financial better standing than other companies. Uh, S&P 500 says it, me, all the indices say it. But I think what is too ingrained in our systems, um, and especially within the tech world as in, in this example, is that they're incented by the wrong things. And because if you're not gonna change the way that's incented, then of course they're gonna keep on driving those factors of price wars and you know, basically, uh, minimizing as much as you can on your people spend uh, so that their contractors, not employees, et cetera. Yeah. So, and those are market pressures from also, uh, you know, j- just basically how they're caring for their stock price. And at the end of the day, that's still, those quarterly, quarterly calls are what's basically driving their decisions. Yeah. Are you seeing, um, obviously B Corps is, comes from that, from your side of the pond. In the UK, I'm seeing a lot of um, a lot of our clients either becoming B Corps um, or, or looking at it. Um, are, are you seeing that as much of a trend still in America? Um, actually, not as much, uh, honestly, than before. Uh, what I did see, or what I'm seeing more as a trend, though, uh, kind of what I alluded earlier, are more and more companies taking things sincerely uh, in terms of more sincerely at least with with the level of purpose and values and what it means for their employees like really trying to make more efforts as to what does it mean to actually treat your employees well 
Yeah. I, I find that fascinating on B Corp. Maybe it's something America invented that the rest of the world adopt, but not, not many American companies do. But I suppose as long as you're living what it means, it doesn't really matter how you do it or whether you get the badge of that. So I, I think that's an mm. interesting share. Um, yeah. Jen, you obviously, you, you're working on this, on, you're on the front line of it. Um, do you have any good examples where companies have used happiness successfully um, in their business? Yeah, I have uh, several in mind because, and, and one thing to note also is that uh, even though we have happiness in our in our uh, com- company name, a lot of people tend to use other words as well, you know, like well-being or flourishing and thriving. And so it's been interesting to see how companies take on this concept for themselves. But um, if you come to mind, and I, I think about these because of specifically their reaction and their actions after COVID, which was really telling as to whether or not this company, these companies were truly um, you know, using happiness in their business. And so as an example, one of them is, uh, is a construction company, real estate company out in Egypt called DMG. And they had uh, a pretty remarkable uh, inspiration of how they wanted to use happiness. So they just not only did it within their culture and values, they actually built, rebuilt their whole headquarters uh, around the topic of notions of happiness and their values. So if you can imagine different rooms, like conference rooms that were named after their values and they, they'll have a whole area for just wellness and, they, and then another area for yoga and um, just things that made the physical space come to life. And yeah. that was pretty amazing to see. But then what happened after COVID was, even though they had such difficulties and challenges, um, they thought about their employees first. They, they basically uh, just reached out to them and their families and said, okay, we're, we're going to be here for you, even though we're at a very bad financial state. And that was just putting money where their mouth was and, and walking their talk. Uh, and beyond that, they reached out to the community to help however they could as well. So I think DMG, um, BI Group is another, ironically, another uh, um, construction company out in Central Asia, Kazakhstan, uh, to be exact, and did a very similar thing, even though they had to actually, unfortunately, go through some layoffs. They consulted us first to say, how can we do this in a way that, you know, obviously happiness is not at the top of their heads, but how can we do this in an empathetic way that respects the people that are leaving and respects the people that are staying? And so that was a big, you know, uh, I think indicator of how a culture and happiness means to them. And as one of the gestures, they only not only did that for their employees, but they actually ended up building hospitals, um, pop-up hospitals uh, for COVID patients uh, as a part of their way of giving back to the community. So those two companies come to mind just because of the way they reacted to what COVID did uh, to their communities. Uh, no, it's, it's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating that they've coming from a construction perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, so in terms of practical tips, Jen, um, if a company wants to take happiness seriously, they've gone through mm-hmm. COVID, they're looking at the future, they're thinking, we're going to do this differently now. Um, have you got any practical tips about how people can, can start on this journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for us, we believe in the sense of having a foundational culture. Um, But before I go into the practical tips, I think it's important to sort of conceptualize how this all works in our mind, because if it's just the onesie twosie tips, 
um, then it's kind of like a rah-rah, you know, inspiration, like, you know, happy day kind of thing. But we all know that's not sustainable. And so for us, our full belief is that it needs to be you know, not just a campaign on culture or not just a happiness initiative. It really is about systemic change. So yeah. for a practical trip for, um, for executives or leaders of the company, number one is commitment. And when I say that, that is actually, it sounds so simple, but it's actually the number one success or fail factor that we've seen in all our clients. It's, if you don't have leadership committing to it, our recommendation is just don't even spend time on it. <laughs> you know, don't waste your time, don't waste your money because it's a, it'll be a flash in the pan and it won't be sustainable as we're talking about in that systemic change. So after the commitment, sense of commitment, and of course that takes time and money and resources, um, but if you do it right, it won't be as much as you think. <laughs> but yeah. uh, that's the first tip. But the second one from that is there needs to be this idea like once you're committed, start from the top down, which means executive alignment, which is huge in this whole ability to change the systems of, of what we're talking about with your people and your culture. Well, once you have that top down alignment, it's so important to involve the bottom up. And yeah. having those beat in the middle <clears throat> is where you actually create that systemic change because there are so many people within your organization that you may or may not know already that live and breathe you know the ideal of your culture and these are the people that you want to showcase as to who are the the ambassadors um that will naturally carry on and actually come up with great ideas on yeah. on how to sustain and grow the culture um, do, and then i think uh, go ahead sorry, Jim, just to jump in how do you how do you identify these ambassadors how, how do you know if they're in your organization well, I guess there's a couple of ways. I mean, for those that have um, already established their purpose and values, which a lot of companies have these days, uh, oftentimes we just tell, you know, advise our, our clients just to ask uh, for people to vote uh, because some people don't want these roles, but some people also know that there are natural leaders in these roles. So whether it's have the leadership voting or having the whole company just identifying those, you know, ambassadors, it, be, it becomes more of a, uh, you know, a process where everyone is involved. So therefore everyone is um, bought in and has a sense of ownership that these are the things that are going to change. And these are the ambassadors that are uh, going to be highlighted as part of our, as we call culture action teams. Um, yeah. So that that is truly, again, sustainable and uh, throughout every layer of your company, not just top down, but also bottom up. Yeah. No, that, that's it, that's so useful, Jen. Um, before I go into summary, any, any anything to add on on any of these questions? Anything that's popped in your head? Um, I would say for the tips again, I would say I would revisit uh, your culture foundation. So for us, it's purpose, values, and even beyond beyond that is behaviors. And the behaviors bit is something that I think a lot of companies can be better at using because once you you know, when you have those walls, uh, the values on the wall, it really doesn't really mean that much until you actually identify specific behaviors out of it. And yeah. then you have a sense of understood, you know, consensus across every person in the organization of what exactly these values mean. And then you can measure against them and you can hold people accountable for them, but you can also reward and recognize and incentivize based on that. So I think that, you know, takes these whole kind of lofty notions of purpose and values and actually puts it into systemic, you know, processes uh, that will be enduring through your organization. Um, Jen, this has been so insightful. Um, 
I'm going to try and sum up, which is almost impossible considering everything that you've shared with us. Um, but the th- I think the thing that I'm going to sum up um, for our listeners that I really took from this, which is once you've done, once you've done your reading, once you've done your research, um, you use that C word commitment, um, which is, yeah, we, we see that unless you're going to commit to it, almost don't bother. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to take from it, Jen. Um, and I just have one last thing to do, which is to say thank you so much uh, for giving me up uh, my evening and your morning. Um, <laughs> really, really appreciate your time, Jen. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Matt. Good luck Thanks with everything. Thanks a lot. Chat soon. All right, cool.